welcome, welcome back, uh, America. Yeah, this is a room of requirement, a podcast dedicated to reason and resilience in the time of Trump. I am one of your co-hosts, Kamala Shrao. And I am Miracle Jones. And with us today, we have a special guest. Uh, Alexis Wright. Yeah, Alexis Wright here, here to talk about politics. And we, we looked at our demographic data we realized we have no we're testing really poorly with millennial women no so we figured we'd like wrangle one in well I, I, now this is completely fabricated <laughs> I, I know what demographics we know I, we have do we have we, oh we actually have demographic data yeah, all right yeah uh, what's our demographic data I, we have geography so. okay what's our geo how we i doing? mean we're mostly based in the u.s and brooklyn so most of our listeners are brooklyn yeah brooklynites okay but uh, what are the demographics of Brooklyn? I mean, we could guess male or female, but we can't yeah. really. We don't know, like, age or anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> Millennial no. women now. <laughs> yeah, 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 now. Yeah, I mean, you named the demographic, we're deficient. I'm telling you. We're going to look at the stats okay, after this. We don't have that many people. It's going to so. be twice as many listeners. Right. I'm telling you. So I believe uh, the two women I know who listen to this podcast are both uh, Gen X. Okay, so tell us about yourself, uh, Lex. All right, um, well, I am a technology professional in the city, um, but I like to watch Congress obsessively, just kind of out of general interest, so I have a lot of theories about that. Um, <laughs> that is a weird hobby. What, what got you into politics? As well, a... originally I got really into politics, I think, um, during when they were working on passing the Affordable Health Care Act. I was okay. like, all right, I'm, I want this to happen. I'm going to follow it. But I don't have a full understanding of all of the intricacies of how, like, the legislative process works. Right. So I'm going to follow it. And then I discovered, like, it's full of human drama, right? It's yeah, like yeah. it's all just one jerk holding out for handouts at the last second. Or, like, you know, there's just, like, a series of, like, betrayals. And his name was and, Joe Lieberman. And, <laughs> and he will live forever in infamy. But, go ahead. but yeah, so, so I got interested at that point, And then since then, it's just become, you know, like, my daily soap opera, I guess. Oh, and where are you from? What's your... Oh, background? I am from Connecticut, yeah. Okay. Um, I grew up in the Northeast, um, Connecticut, Massachusetts, a nice Northeastern blue states. yeah, um, yeah. That's an interesting... We, we are unfamiliar with that. Yeah, we don't understand yeah, that. We don't understand You guys have not world. been to any of those. Yeah, <laughs> I've, yeah, I've never... I mean, I guess I've driven through Connecticut, but it's, I've never spent the night there. It's a quick there, drive. You know? don't, let the, don't let the sun set on you in Connecticut, <laughs> as we say now and stuff. That's cool. What kind of technology? I, I didn't... Yeah. Ah, um, so... So when you say technology professional, what do you mean? That's it. Ah, I see. Um... Multidisciplinary. Uh, so I... My original background was kind of in support and then I moved up through like kind of project management and now I do a whole set of different kind of team management, project management, support management stuff um, for proprietary internal applications for a finance company. Okay. Yeah. One of the, one of the big ones. Yeah. Yeah. yeah one of the <laughs> evil ones. We won't say which one, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think I know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, and so that's why you. you but you you come from uh, uh, like a small town kind of. Um, no, 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 I wouldn't say so. I bounced around Fairfield County, which is like sort of the commuter space okay. um, for uh, Connecticut people who have an affluent parent who works in New York City, or the entire economy built around those people. Yeah. Um, so uh, various parts of Fairfield County, some sort of nice and suburban and others like kind of like you know whatever business insider like top 22 most dangerous cities so like yeah, <laughs> it's yeah a good mixture it's a good mixture um 
Yeah, Connecticut, I think, is really interesting. Sorry, quick Connecticut pick. Yeah, no, for sure. It's got this rep with you non-Connecticut people as being like an all-rich people state. Yes. No, I, did, I had never oh. heard that. Well, except uh, for like New Haven, but yeah. My freshman year roommate was from Connecticut, not, right. the, not the good part. Oh, of where from? Where in Connecticut? Uh, I believe he was in Norfolk. Okay, okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, if you look just demographically at kind of what creates crime, right, it's, it's not actually uh, poverty, it's wealth disparity. Right. So if you've got a state that's full of rich people and then some very poor cities, they become interesting places to live. Hmm. Yeah, you got something to steal for anybody yeah, to like, yeah, report exactly. it. Well, I, <laughs> my impression is that Connecticut literally has the wrong side of the tracks. Like, they're yeah, actually, because yeah, they're railroads running through it, yeah, they're yeah, actually yeah. demarcated by rail, railroads. That's interesting. Yeah, I, it's also not well governed, some would say. <laughs> in what in what aspect? Um, so I would say, I think that um, there are issues around kind of the fiscal governance of the state, um, and then at sort of the local and municipal level, uh, in some areas of Connecticut, there's serious problems with corruption, um, from what I understand. I, I don't follow state-level politics that closely. But it's a seriously blue state as well, right? Like oh, it's, it's, a very, it's a very blue state in terms of national-level politics, in yeah. terms of local politics. You know, like, Connecticut people like to, like, elect a nice, stern Republican dad who will tell them to spend their money responsibly once in a while, but, like, um, in terms of Congress people and, uh, and senators... Mostly blue once in a while, Lieberman, you know. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> the, so let me ask you our like our, our triangulating sort of like uh, political spectrum uh, questions. So do you ad- identify as a globalist or more of a nationalist? Oh, I mean, if I have to pick between those, yeah, two, you have to. I I guess I would go globalist. Okay. Uh, free trade versus uh, protectionism. I mean, for the most part, I would I would lean free trade. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, what about how do you guys feel about military interventions? I feel like that should be on the, on the uh, list. Well, I think yeah. How do you guys each feel about military interventions? I, I'm interested to hear. I, I I'm a utilitarian about that sort of stuff. Like you should see who, the number of people that are gonna die if you don't intervene and weigh that against the number of people you would have to kill to prevent that and mm-hmm. make a decision on, on an individual basis. I don't think you can have a mm-hmm. a really consistent. Uh, you shouldn't have a, uh, a policy about that sort of thing. You should look at each thing individually, I think. I'll agree with that. I think it's um, case by case, but yeah. also I think it's also really hard to do. It's very hard. You're I not going to get the problem, it right. yeah. One of the problems with the U.S., it's very easy for us to win the wars wherever we pick fights. Yeah. It's just very, very hard for us to conduct a peace. Yeah. And so we don't have the, we're not colonialists in that way. Like yeah. We're not, we don't have that mentality. Also, like, colonialism is sort of out, right? So yeah. Like, if we were to attempt to, like... Yeah. I think there's know. actually an interesting argument of whether or not the anti-colonial mindset has actually... Damaged a, world peace. Prevented, <laughs> prevented people from doing effective state building by fiat. Right. Not to say that we non-colonializing countries are against, like, strategically allying ourselves with specific factions inside foreign nations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but I think we also play that game not terribly Poorly? well. Yeah. <laughs> we're really bad <laughs> at it. We're bad at it. We're, we're, half, we're just half-hearted, too. Yeah. We don't, yeah. You don't care enough to do a good job. Yeah. Law, yeah. law and order versus uh, secure freedom. Yeah. I lean pretty Personal civil freedom. libertarian. Yeah, um, yeah. So I'm all about sort of standard prepackaged civil liberties and then also kind of advances that I think are needed in privacy. Yeah. And like 
internet access and whatever. And then I guess maybe like uh, state state power, like control versus like federalism. Oh, that is an interesting question. Um, so I would say I lean federalist, but with the caveat that I think that the last couple of years, actually even beyond that, let's say the last 20 years, have uh, been good evidence for the fact that I think that we need to sort of uh, tweak the checks and balances of power between the branches of government. So I'm pro-federalist, but federalist with like very strong checks and balances, which I think are being eroded and tested daily. You gotta have a referee. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, interesting. I mean, yeah, I think I mean, politics, are, you know, you can ask them if they're like a Democrat or a Republican or like oh. a progressive, <laughs> but those words are utterly like left versus right. They become utterly meaningless and they just become opportunities to yeah. really yell at each other. So I like to know specifically where people fall mm-hmm. on specific issues. And I also think like labels like conservative and progressive are what people label themselves so it's they don't have to yeah. think about it. It's because yeah, very so tribal. It's yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they don't have to really investigate what their set of beliefs are, right? Yeah. Like, so I come from this like, unassailable set of beliefs it's called either conservatism or progressivism right mm-hmm. and then like the minute you label yourself that you've already lost me i think yeah i think so too yeah because uh, it is like an identity politics yeah. too and you get a lot out of it you yeah, get it's a an tribe. ideology it's yeah. an ideology yeah. you can subscribe to i'm kind of trying to create a tribe of globalists since it's been created for us <laughs> <laughs> it's like let's fucking let's just own it right yeah. it's a bunch yeah. of globalist bulls out there yeah, yeah. i feel like there's not a lot of competition for your for your PAC membership. Right? Yeah, you yeah, might be able to take the lead on, on <laughs> well, pro-globalism <laughs> at the popular level. I know. Grassroots free globalism. Socialism. Free market, so free markets versus socialism. Um, it's kind of a free trade. but That's an interesting question. Yeah. Um, to be honest with you, I wouldn't say I fall cleanly on either side of that debate. I think that um, there are certainly areas where uh, the free market can create a lot of good and should be left to do its thing, provided that you're able to kind of avoid crony capitalism, which is not actual free markets, right? Um, and then there are other areas, like for example, I'm in favor of socialized healthcare, right? Because My take on it is that I think healthcare is extremely expensive in the U.S. Yeah. And no, and and I am not convinced anyone has a great solution, and the government is probably. It, it's a very. I, I don't see how you get to a path of, of government ownership that makes the healthcare even less complicated. Yeah, I should say I don't. I don't know if I think that the political path to socialized healthcare in the U.S. is clean. Yeah. But right. just in theory, like if I could just buy fiat tomorrow and just implement sure. any system I want, I've told Miracle Jones in the past that my theory is that we should have Medicare for everyone or Medicare for no one because I want to see boomers put some skin in the game. Uh, <laughs> or some skin in the ground. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a strong strong position. Okay. Right, right. <laughs> was that death frozen death. horror complex? <laughs> no, no. So death to the boomer. <laughs> I mean, no. I think Medicare for everyone would also be fine. It is it is Gen X's position stated on this podcast. We're trying to engineer a war between you two so that we can just, <laughs> the millennials. Yeah, yes, yeah, so we can just chill out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, At that point, I got some news for you. That war is happening. <laughs> yeah. Well, good luck to you. We, we'll not pick sides, but you know, we uh, it's like uh, Stalingrad. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. All right. So, so when Trump was elected, how did, did you think he was going to win? That's a good first. Um, I did not expect. Okay. Trump so it came as a surprise. It did come as a surprise to me. Yeah. And how how did that feel? Um. What, what... Well, you know, I would say that it felt 
distressing. Yeah. Um, for sure, because, right, you you expect unconsciously maybe that the people around you who are voting, even the people across the country who are voting, will have the same kind of core uh, sense of what is absolutely over the line of acceptable common decency, particularly when it's something that perhaps is, like, injurious to you or to your particular demographic, right? Yeah. And, like, probably there are many groups who, like, already knew, like, nobody gives a shit about my problems, if you'll excuse my language. But for me, certainly a number of the things that Trump said were completely over the line of acceptable decency. Um, and he did and, and not... And did, right? Not just said, Yeah, said did. Yeah, and yeah. and And he did not have sort of the real sort of policy chops or creative ambition to even offer something that I could easily understand as an alternative to that. Now, I'm no Hillary Clinton, like, personality cult fan myself, but uh, it certainly was distressing to me to find that enough Americans were ready to pull the lever for Trump that uh, that man would win. Yeah. And, uh, and, and since then, how have you been coping with the new sort of world that we live in. Yeah, um, what's your relationship to to news and, and, and politics yeah, now? Yeah, and your own um, emotions. So I, I already, I think, you know, there's a lot of people who I know who became much more interested in politics um, after the election or in the lead up to the election, like I said. Yeah, that's early, like 90% of yeah. our audience. Like yeah. I said earlier, I was kind of already following politics pretty closely prior to the election. Um, some of the political norms have moved, obviously. I've gotten a little bit more interested in what it's possible to do in terms of activism and change than just sort of abstractly following it and pulling the lever when I'm interested. So I would say that in that sense it's changed my kind of relationship to politics. But um, yeah, it uh, was interesting before. I'm interested now. It's more upsetting now, but yeah. You know, it's, uh, but then you're, we're not we're not not as alone. Those of us that care, right? It's like I don't know. I feel like like uh, of my friends who were not interested in politics before and are interested in politics now, um, the, because the, their level of stridency, kind of launching into it, right? Their level of like zeal is like so high, yeah. and they're just going right out of the gate that way. Um, I think that they don't. Many of them haven't kind of taken the time to evaluate political arguments and policy ideas in that kind of bloodless, boring way that we yeah. all had of doing it before the election when it was just like... When you've seen some compromises happen before yeah, and the exactly. world hasn't fallen yeah, apart. And you, and you understand how kind of the sausage gets made and, yeah. and why, you know, like for example... Um, I'm a big Nancy Pelosi fan. I think that she's the shrewdest. You are maybe the only person. Yeah. I mean, I like I mean, Nancy not Pelosi the only person too, too, but, yeah. but I think <laughs> she's uh, she's one of the shrewdest political operators in Washington, and yeah. I think it's fascinating how like watching Congress for you know years when she was Speaker, she always had her votes, and and even now watching her maneuver from the position of minority leader, she makes some really smart choices. Um, and so I know it's not a popular position to be pro Nancy Pelosi. Uh, but I, I really uh, I'm a big fan. Well, I think that I think if you're rooting for the speakers of the house, you're a strange person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One, you've dug in deep. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. two, you appreciate <laughs> right. the art of the compromise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, you know, it's like I like to see good legislation get made, but when you dig in at a level that's a little bit deeper than just having like one stance, one thing you want, one right answer. You know, 
there's so much compromise and negotiation and yeah. detail work that goes into it. And so much of what comes out of it is dependent on that detail work yeah. instead of the initially stated position. Yeah. That, like, I don't know, I feel like... Uh, you kind of have to get really into it. And also you just find these, you know, these fascinating human stories. There's one congressman right now who uh, in his primary is running against a primary challenger with the same first and last name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did not yeah. know that. That's happening. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so you get these little like weird human it's, it's a, That's stories. a great like A-B test, right? That's, yeah. a, twin, that's a, a twin study, right? Yeah. We'll finally get the data. <laughs> On this district uh, for for real, right? Yeah, completely high air. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. Like, no, I've lately noticed. I think, especially with respect to Diane Feinstein, mm-hmm. where people are talking about how, like, oh, these politicians—they're just changing their opinion about things just based on what people want. She's just being more liberal this year, taking more liberal positions because of Trump. It's like, yes, you have effectively described democracy. Yeah, right. That's yeah, exactly yeah. what is yeah. supposed to happen yeah. in our leaders. So yeah, yeah, I am. In yeah, no they're, they're way. here to represent you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you they, want them to not? Like, yeah, like, right. It's, it's like, so strange yeah, to me. But yeah, I think like there's a, a there's a certain amount of. Hey, why didn't you already? Why didn't you vote for how I fell now? Yeah, yeah. And always vote. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Why didn't you vote with me with hindsight? You're yeah. just going on the data. You're right. just polling people and they're changing your opinion based on the majority. Like, what a fucking sellout. Yeah, but or like what that's you, what the what, what, or basically like what kind of policy concessions you think? Yeah, you yeah. What well, you can like, get from yeah. Congress? What? Did, yeah. So I don't know. It's interesting to see people learn how our system works. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah right. And I. If anything, the politics have, have sort of emboldened sort of wings of the parties that are really happy not to make compromises oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and are actually happy to grandstand a lot. I think that's like the boring senator yeah, who no, doesn't. They're do... looking for the liberal Ted Cruz, right? Yeah. Like they want they want the liberal Ted Cruz elected. And like I, I get it. Like it's it's satisfying, particularly in like kind of, you know, the grievance politics era to just be like, yeah, I want to elect someone who's going to go and give them the finger. And, like, I'm all in favor of, like, strategically holding the line and obstructing if that's what you think advances the interests of policy and decency. But at the end of the day, like, we don't elect these people to do this because it's, like, a fun job, right? In theory, they're going to be good at it, so I would like someone who's effective at governing. And also, you know, I think what you saw with, with the last couple of years, right, and, like, kind of the the swing toward Democrats and and the increasing disgust with Congress is like, this is what the Tea Party did, right? Is just like mindlessly obstruct for years. And like, yeah, you get a president that can't do anything. um, And that's very exciting for uh, the opposite party's base. But you also get a reputation for congressional bodies that do nothing because that's effectively what they're up to. Yeah, and I think there's a difference between, and you pointed this out before, Miracle Jones, about the difference between the ideology of the left and the right is the left has a stake in government working well, and so it's really hard to be obstructionist for long if you're part of the left, unless you have something that's completely odious. And lucky for now, I think you have something on the other side that's completely odious. Even still, we should be attempting to advance our our goals on a state and local level just to prove to people that government can work if we distrust the federal government. That's the left's opportunity to become real civically. I mean, uh, but the side to that is that the left or the Democrats are Democrats. have lost power yeah. on no, every sure. level of government. Now it's time to take it back. So yeah. that brings us kind of into... Let's talk about politics. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, oh, were we not talking about this? <laughs> no, we're just getting, we're getting to the soul of Alexis Wright. Yeah, so what did you guys want to talk about first? Yeah, uh, let's talk about the Democrats collapsing polls. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this has been something of a, of a controversy for uh, maybe the past, I don't know, three or four weeks, but yeah. there have been a series of, of reports from, you know, poll watchers and the like about how the Democrats are effectively losing polls. And some big numbers actually, I think, came out this weekend where uh, the difference um, in the, on the generic ballot, I think from Washington ABC poll, was it was zero, right? So the yeah. difference between the Democrats and the Republicans, meaning that if you were asked whether you would vote for a Republican or a, a Democrat in, I think, the upcoming Congress, in congressional vote, who would you vote for? Right. And it's effectively zero, so they're yeah. 50-50. Um, so that's different, I think, uh, depending on what numbers you look at, it was between seven, eight, maybe even double digits, so in preference of the Democrats. So there's something about uh, the idea that overall probably the average went from somewhere around 10 to about four or five now. And the magic number is seven. And once you clear seven, you've taken back Congress because the Democrats have sort of a, uh, an inherent um, weakness in terms of land versus votes kind of thing. Yeah. So, uh, so that's that's kind of the the summary of it. And what's interesting is to see people explain it, uh, or try to explain it, or try to dismiss it. And so this is an uncomfortable position for the Democrats, who have largely seen, you know, Donald Trump still be Donald Trump, and see either polling numbers. Uh, go down, or or even Donald Trump, uh, in terms of the Democrats, or Donald Trump's own numbers start to rise ever so slightly. So, I was curious what you guys thought. First of all, likely voter polls aren't out yet, right? We're still dealing with just like general polls. Right. People. Yeah. So those are still not being done. So it's kind of useless information that hopefully will aid people in. I mean, it's interesting because it's a point of comparison, but yeah. I would say that we're seeing, you know, the partisan you know mean reversion right but it does i still don't think it has anything to do with the intensity of people's d desire to vote one way or the other what do you what do you think so i think yeah I, I think because of just where kind of the parties are demographically and like where the numbers are and, and how various you know like all of the special elections recently have been going which have been skewed um, a little more democratic than even the polls at those times would indicate you know, I feel like what we're seeing at this point in time is really just like uh, winners are driven almost entirely at this point by who's driven out to the polls by more grievance. Yeah. And so it's less a popularity contest than it is a grievance contest at this point. Yeah. So I think, I mean, to me, I expect polls to tighten as you get closer to the actual elections. I think that's happened. I think some of it is just Trump appearing to make gestures toward North Korea that seem not to be moving us toward the brink of immediate nuclear war, you know, um, and, and I guess, you know, Congress showing that it is capable of doing something perhaps, right? Um, and also just, you know, as we somehow move away from a little bit of the chaos and dysfunction of the sort of earliest part of the Trump administration, and also Democrats get a little fatigued, right? Um, people come around a little bit, but I don't, I don't know, for me, in terms of my interpretation, I would say the things I would want to watch beyond the polls are just, um, who is more upset going into the midterm elections? Because, um, Republicans have had some somewhat upsetting victories uh, for Democrats recently. I think, you know, up till this point in special elections, that's driven up turn up turnout a lot. Um, the best thing for the Democratic Party might just to be to lose a few upsetting fights with Trump right in the lead up. I don't know. Yeah, I think you, Miracle Jones has pointed out that 
actually having a wide margin going into the polls makes people lazy, right? Mm -hmm. They they assume that other people are going to vote, whereas Mm -hmm. if it's a tight race, people come out. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing I wanted to point out is that turnout really matters um, on special elections, first and foremost. Less so in midterms, but it's still important. And then finally, for general elections every four years, it's even less important because people generally come out to vote. But when you have thinner, the thinner the voting population, the more turnout and grievance or... Um, popularity or things like that matter and so we're I think there's a sort of a natural shift if you're looking at say election results as opposed to just polling if you look at uh, election results to see things move away from the Democrats a little because that push from being so engaged and enraged um, it just has diminishing returns as you get uh, to elections that are more um, more about uh, general turnout or more likely to have a larger tenor turnout do you guys think the Democrats' message is working? Do you think it's a good message? Like, Yeah, I was actually going to ask that. Do you think there's, the Democrats should be doing anything different? Yeah. I think, that, I think that, that holding a non-impeachment-oriented platform yeah. is a strong move. I think that's yeah. the correct move. So I think that aspect of the Democratic strategy right now is good. I think making noise for net neutrality, obviously, is a good strategy. It's hard to fail with that. Millennials like it. Boomers either like it or don't. Yeah get it or they're so with their party that they're not going to vote yeah. regardless. Um, so I think that Democrats are at least pursuing a strategy that's not like offensively bad. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I don't see them electing wackos, right? Like yeah. I think, uh, and I personally love the idea of electing like progressive ex-soldiers. Right, like yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I think they do that actually. They're yeah. able, that's, 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 that's that's where you are. Yeah, run, running yeah. a vet is also yeah, like yeah. progressive vets. Yeah. Progressive vets. Yeah. That's yeah, what yeah, you yeah. want. There's actually I, yes, people that just cut off that, that have socialized medicine for them, and you know, water for others. I was listening, and I, I uh, there's a podcast that I I recommend is uh, it's Fortress on a Hill. It's run by progressive vets. Oh really? Yeah, it's yeah. A yeah. Podcast. Oh, that's it sounds great. Podcast. Yeah. It's, it's kind of interesting to listen. Yeah. Um, they really, like, they have a lot to say about them. They mostly talk about military affairs and maybe foreign policy, but uh, mostly it's just like, hey, this is what it looks like from the ground up, right? Yeah. Like, and this is, soldiers get screwed over, too, by, you know, various bureaucracies and hierarchies and things like that, and I think they do a really good job. So, Fortress on a Hill. That's interesting. That's, yeah. a, that's a good Aggressive that's a good vets. Pick. I think they're, they're the key to the Democrats winning. <laughs> that's a really good, like, that's that's who we are. We're progressive vets. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want to be the party of progressive vets. I think you're right about that. And especially since uh, the demographics of the armed forces these days are not what they used to be, right? Sure. It's like a, it's a, it is a demographic that I think is conducive to, to Democrats. There's a lot of women, a lot of... Um, younger people. Right? A lot of younger people and yeah. minorities yeah. that, you know, uh, uh, immigrants less. as well. Like I mean, Immigrants. Yeah. Um, yeah, we were trying to get our friend, uh, a friend of mine, to run as a progressive. Yeah, vet. we absolutely were. Yeah. We were trying to do like yeah. uh, some. such a perfect. Yeah. <laughs> he's a really good candidate. candidate. Yeah, yeah. 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 He's, like a, he's, he's progressive. He's a data scientist. Yeah. Oh man, he's, oh, he's man. in Nevada. Catholic, uh, Catholic, <laughs> religious Catholic. Yeah. Vet. Progress, uh, pretty liberal in his politics. Um, works with government a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I have a friend who's Italian whose uh, sister recently ran for and, and won a seat in the Italian House, and she her background is data science. Yeah. Right? She just went straight from data science to uh, to politics. It's the right place to be. Right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Targeted marketing. <laughs> we can certainly read a poll. <laughs> so what about you? Do you think like the the messaging of the Democrats is reaching the the heart of the Connecticut Yankee. Oh my goodness, the heart of the <laughs> Connecticut Yankee. Um, 
I mean, the heart of the Connecticut Yankee, the progressive Connecticut Yankee. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, at the end of the day, the messaging of the Democrats doesn't have to be that much more complicated than anti-Trump to win yeah. the heart of most Connecticut Yankees. He's not the sort of non-liberal that appeals to Connecticut Yankee. Yeah. Like, I feel like in the Northeast here, like, we've got our Republicans that we like, but they're, you know, like, fiscally conservative, like, socially sort of libertarian, get-off-my-lawn Republicans, yeah. don't-touch-my-money Republicans, right. not like, you'll pray and you'll like it Republicans. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's playing well here, but I feel like the Northeast is not usually in play anyway. Yeah. It's like we're pretty, we're pretty blue, like serve us whatever kind of blue eggs and ham you've got and we will eat it. But like, however, I'm, however, right now we need to, the, in the midterms, like Democrats need to run up the score. Oh, in that's places. true. And like in the suburbs right, of like, like suburbs New York and where Jersey. These, I are, think, these are exactly where the Democrats well, need to head. I think, I think it's interesting. I think there's a few things that have happened there that are a combination of okay Democratic strategy and really bad Republican strategy. Like for example, the, the, the you know, the tax cuts bill, like specifically, very specifically targeted, yeah. like, like New York and Jersey, like affluent suburbanites, California, right? Yeah. Like, like almost surgically targeted, um, and people are not unaware of that, right? Yeah. Like, if you suddenly cap substantial deductions that they've been taking, and you know we're all northeastern sort of Yankee Protestant work ethic. I work hard for my money, and then I will give it to charity, but it will come from me. Yeah. Not like I want to be taxed on it. Um, so I think that will not play well, and I wouldn't say that it's Democratic strategy to have let it pass, but um, that'll be a factor. Um, and then, you know, more broadly, I think the party's positions on health care, I think, if I had to say, I would say, like, most people I know who are sort of Yankee Democrats are either for it or kind of unconcerned because yeah. they maybe may not feel that it's practical perhaps as Kamalish doesn't think that it's practical but they also don't think that it's feasible so they mm. don't think it's going to make it through government in the first place and so it's why not... die on that hill yeah yeah exactly what about the message of corruption like do you think that's breaking through like if the democrats were on a on an anti-corruption i platform. think they should do it better i don't think yeah. that that message is making it out nearly as much as it could i think that the trump administration um particularly you know like various cabinet members, I mean, look at Pruitt, right, yeah. um, is almost a self-parodying level yeah. of corruption that is happening that's like, like, I think if you, uh, you know, really kind of uh, drew some kind of historical analogies, like, like, give me some, like, period piece uh, election ads that really, like, draw this back to, like, monopolistic fat cats and, like, like open, you know, like, graft and corruption and, like, like, you know, put a fat, put, put a fat President Taft on the screen, you know, like, get a little bit in character, give people the analogy, right, like, feed them the narrative and the historical context to understand what they're looking at and well, also feed them, like, a... Well, something, something I always think about is it's not a, it's not being pushed as, like, it's being pushed as, like, a, these people are getting rich, like, Fuck them. I don't think that's en enough. Like no. the thing about corruption that bothers me is something that I think about with Russia all the time is like ambulances don't work there because nobody believes that they're actually have uh, people that have emergencies in the back. This is like some 
some rich person. So nobody pulls over for ambulances anymore, only, right? So people only. die in the back of ambulances in Russia because like they don't believe in them. So right. corruption like erodes actual so public he, here good. Would right? be, here would be my only real concern about Democrats running on a really strong anti-corruption platform is that I... don't I, think it's native to them. Yeah. Well, A, I don't think it's native to them. And then B, I feel that there's a really strong cognitive dissonance right now within the Republican Party with people who pulled the lever for Trump where they're normalizing and... Uh, kind of reconfiguring their view of what is acceptable political behavior, and that's enabled by the news outlets that they're most likely to frequent, with some exceptions, right? But um, and so I think, to the extent that Democrats pull, you know, pull the alarm on various levels of corruption, that those levels of corruption are going to become normalized from a Republican perspective. Right. You have to. I think the problem with the Democratic messaging around corruption is that you don't have people who are squeaky clean. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think, I mean, it's we have Menendez, just a name, like, across the yeah. river. Mm -hmm. Right. So we don't have a great, uh, and we, I guess, being Democrats, uh, as a party, just have a long history of corruption. I think both parties do. So unless you start to elect people who are, you know, new to politics and come from traditions or backgrounds or have a bio that says, I am incorruptible, right, I think that's a harder thing to talk about. Because one of the selling points about uh, the Trump uh, campaign was they were so anti-Hillary for corruption, mm -hmm. right? And and every Republican has been brought up uh, since the since a tender age to think about Clinton cash, right? And mm -hmm. and stories of corruption from the Clinton. So yeah. Mm -hmm. But something like the Puerto Rico disaster, right? And yeah. that's a case that can be made. You know, the it was a catering company that was paid. You know, it was like an internal. It was a right. It was a, to me that stuff like really carries I, carries a bigger. This uh, is where I think I break a little because I think. It's a harder case. I, people want Puerto Rico, especially on the left, they want it to be the new Katrina. And it's not, I mean, I think that there was a disaster that happened. Right? Yeah, but it, instead of a... It's and I also, think, I also think it's only now that people are beginning to realize that Puerto Ricans are American citizens, right? Like, I think, that, for better or worse, right? That's, right? Like, that's I, not... I think you're right. I think corruption's a hard message for the Democrats to run on, but it is a slow-moving and pervasive one. That right, I think, I think you don't, you don't let it... You don't, of course you don't want to yeah. forget it and it is appalling and it yeah. is actually one of those things that should things become really egregious you will find republicans drawing the line yeah and you guys you guys know where i stand you know women women wi-fi and weed right like, <laughs> I, i've been, been I, saying that since the beginning of this I feel podcast like, I feel like I still, the Democratic that's not an anti-corruption message. No, 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 no. But I think that I think you need something positive. Yeah, I think right. You can't just run on negative things. You have right. to. The Democrats have to sell extra rights. Like we are providing more. You elect us. You we end prohibition. We uh, improve the uh, the 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 proportion of women in Congress, and we get net neutrality back. Okay. You know? So I. Um, so let me ask you this. So okay. If we come, if we vi revisit this conversation yeah. in seven months or whatever, right, 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 right. And, and we found out that the Democrats lost, right? Like, right. what did we not see? What so, like, let's say the Democrats failed to turn the House, they failed to yeah. turn the Senate. Trump is still in power. Um, you know, you could come close to the majority, but you're not. Let's say we, we gained a couple of seats, but we didn't turn the house. What do you think we could have done better? We have yet to reckon with the online social discourse, the way people communicate with and spread. We have yet to, the, the Democrats have yet to utilize the internet effectively yeah, uh, think, in order to generate enthusiasm. I think that's still happening. I think whatever happened in 2016 to 
to destroy the Hillary Clinton campaign when she clearly should have won because she's a far more competent person. She should, have been, she should have walked away from it, right? You know, she didn't get 3 million more votes. She probably should have got 10 million more votes, you know? Like, that. What whatever is still going on there has yet to be reckoned with. And I think that's uh, a huge problem. It's a media medium that is uh, international and is all over the world. And, and for, you know, the right wing's taking over everywhere from... Uh, from what do you think? Yeah. Um... So things that I think could decisively move the midterms toward Republicans, I think if Anthony Kennedy retired from the Supreme Court, if there was an open Supreme Court seat, right, like I think that that moved the needle for a lot of Republican women in the last election and it would move the needle for a lot of Republican women in the current election, right, because whatever uh, sort of lack of enthusiasm they might otherwise be sort of transitorily feeling toward their party because of its... yeah idiotic treatment toward and, and style of dealing with women, um, they care a lot about abortion. Um, so I think that that's one point where the Democrats could lose a lot of ground. That's not the Democrats' hands, right? Yeah, no, no, that is. Um, well, you just said, what are we not... Well, what did we miss? What did we miss in terms what of strategy? What did we miss in terms of strategy? Um, let me think. That's, a, that's an interesting one. Um, I, I, I think... You know, I think that what they would say that we missed is that you can't just run on an anti-Trump platform, but I would actually disagree. I would say that if we lose this election, there's not enough grievance, right? We People need, aren't mad enough. Yeah, yeah. we need we need to get... And, and I don't like it, right? Because I'm all about like calculated political strategy and compromise. But people need to be really upset to be willing to leave the House to vote. Um, so, so I would say maybe not emphasizing whatever aspects of the unfolding situations we've got in politics that are most sort of emotionally effective with voters. Okay. Uh, what do I think we've yeah. missed? Um, I wonder how we stacked up in, in terms of the primaries. Like, I wonder... Uh, uh, so could we've got better candidates? Could we've gotten better candidates? Did the DCC do enough? Yeah. Uh, to Were they too afraid of the progressives? To, yeah, so at what point is the progressive message, uh, was it effectively harnessed or not? Yeah. So my take on it is whether or not the Democratic Party was able to run um, enough to the center to to neutralize Republican votes on a, on a local level. Um, and I could be missing something because I, that's obviously my shtick. Um, so it may be that they ran too far to the center and they didn't, enough, they didn't they weren't able to harness enough p progressive energy but i kind of feel like you want to air more towards the center in, in, in this round because i think no matter what very few progressives are going to line up for donald trump unless you find someone really egregious like they have to be able to court the progressives but they have to be able to win the center Mm -hmm. And so I, I wonder if you're trying to... Especially the districts that they're trying to capture in these midterms. Yeah, I was going to say, like it's kind of district by district, district but right, at right. the same time, yeah, no, there are definitely places Yeah, I wonder if the Democratic Party has enough ears on the ground and enough sensitivity to the local nuances mm -hmm. to be able to pull that off. And yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a big turnaround, right? Like, you're at a, de you're at a historic deficit in terms of, of the Democrats in ruling positions versus the Republicans. So it's a lot to ask to turn the, the fortunes around in one election. Yeah, it is. I think we will pick up seats. I think we will pick up more representation on a state and local level. And yeah. I think that will be good. It might be a longer fight. Than it may actually be more important. I mean, I think we're focusing on Congress and maybe less of the Senate, but it, it really does matter where we go with uh, the local elections, governorships, yeah. state legislatures. And yeah. I think maybe we would probably lose sight of that. We're losing sight of that now. Yeah, yeah.
I, I wonder if, if we've fully lost sight of that or if it's just something that we're not as aware of in terms of the coverage, right? Because we live like, in New York, yeah. yeah. Also, the narcotic effect of everything being fine, don't worry about it, helps the Democrats. Like, that, if yeah. that is the yeah. pervasive atmosphere, and you know, that helped the Republicans during the Obama years, right? Yeah. So, you know, the, the base is going to come out no matter what. They're pissed. Like, and yeah. if the Republicans feel there's no threat, then maybe mm -hmm. the score gets run up. Mm -hmm. In a way that's unexpected. We want that. We want that Irish victory, right? So maybe we want that be, Irish abortion maybe surprise. Maybe we should be like quietly campaigning for Trump to get everybody that Nobel Prize. Everybody should be quietly. <laughs> everybody should be quietly working hard, if possible, to do doing something. Now's your one chance to do yeah. anything. You know, all that, all that fighting, all that bloviating, all that hard work and energy people have spent caring mm -hmm. for the past year. All you have to do is show up one day, and maybe work to get other people to show up, and then all this goes away, right? So. Yeah. Uh, so should we talk about immigration? Real yeah, you quick? guys wanted to talk about. Yeah, I think that's an important thing. To talk okay, about. so you guys wanted to talk about it. So, so I, I think there's some really interesting stuff going on on immigration okay. right now. There's a discharge position, petition in the House where if they hit 218 signatures, a bunch of different immigration bills go to the floor, right. um, including fairly you know fairly liberal ones um, to address like the DACA thing and, and Dreamers. Um, and uh, I think that it's been fascinating to watch this drama play out. There three Congress people signatures away from just forcing this to the floor and they may well have them behind the scenes and they're just giving Ryan a little bit of time to negotiate to save face. Yeah. Um, so I will be really interested to see how that goes. I think my suspicion is that if they do bring something to the floor they will pass it out of the House and if they pass it out of the House if McConnell is willing to take it to the floor they will pass it out of the Senate and then we get to see if Trump vetoes an no. immigration bill. Yeah. Which would be just very interesting. Politically. Well, so I I want to ask you then, what do you think is going to make it out of the House? Because my reading mm -hmm. is that you're not going to get a, a liberal bill out of the House. So I suspect that what you're going to get out of the House when all of these bills go to the floor, assuming that they actually do the discharge position and they don't do some kind of pre-calculated political compromise, is a centrist bill. I think it's going to have a path to citizenship for Dreamers. I think it's going to have some kind of... I mean, Democrats are saying that border wall funding is a non-starter for them, but once you get the bill on the floor, there's enough Republicans to vote for it that I think uh, even with like a really limited set of Democratic defectors who just want to get something for dreamers, um, you might be able to get a centrist bill into the Senate. I don't know. So the Democrats that are holding this up are the, the Texas border Democrats, right? Yep. Those are the... the I think two remaining Democratic holdouts are yeah. all on the border and they don't want these bills going to the floor because they are concerned that there will be funding for the wall that will get passed. And that is my position as well. I think they're absolutely right. I think that there's no reason to vote on this bill right now. I think they have, there's every strategic, uh, and there's every strategic reason to wait until after the midterm elections and to have you'll just be in a better position all around to get something or more. a worse position right? i don't i don't yeah. think there's any way it'll be a worse position right like i, I think the republicans will be more no, willing I, to uh no even if if the democrats don't turn the house they'll be in a wor worse position it doesn't matter if they have Right, so you, you think, have, but that's only if they. I don't think they're going to lose seats. Also, I think, I think. Here's no, a, even if they don't lose so, seats, sorry, cut. Oh yeah, I was going to say. So I, I think that um, strategically, if the Democrats don't take the House after the midterm elections, they will be in a worse position just in terms of House leadership. Um, so if the discharge petition fails, right, so discharge petition is a non-option for getting immigration bills to the floor, and you then have whoever is succeeding Paul Ryan 
um, leading the House, I don't think you're getting any bill on the floor until Democrats take the House again that doesn't have border wall funding in it but addresses immigration. Which yeah. is good for Democrats. If the Republicans are forced to to pass a clean DACA bill, it'd be that's to not going to happen. That. That's not going to happen. But they, exactly, you're right. It won't well, happen. Well, here's the thing. This is the closest. In which we're case, they have get, to eat that shit. This is the closest we're going to get to a path to I, a clean DACA bill. I don't. I. I mean, I. I think it's a huge mistake to in any way give the Republicans any ability to give Trump his wall at all. I. I understand. I, I, I disagree on this one. I mean, it's 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 that is his central issue. That is his, who he is identified with. If he does only that, he will be considered a successful president to himself and to his base, but, and they will rub it in the Democrats' faces until for the next six years because he will be president for another thing. four right here's the thing is I, I think if he gets funding for a border wall it's not going to be the kind of funding that he wants for a border wall it doesn't matter he'll be but, able to declare victory yeah no he'll be able what. to declare victory which will make democrats furious right it's a nominal victory it, if won't, he can't make build much it won't make them furious it'll make them demoralized i don't know about that i think because they will they will what will happen is they'll turn on their own leadership and you'll get your democratic tea party that you're f- think, afraid of i think the the sell of border wall funding mm-hmm. quote unquote yeah, right like yeah. you can slow walk funding all you want yeah. for daca i think will may or may so I, I i'm not convinced it blows against the democrats right they would say like we held out you could have some bill that allows that the debt if you have the dreamers become citizens that's a democratic victory right yeah Less, like uh, path to citizenship. Do you know how much the Meadows wing of the Republican Party, like the Freedom Caucus, well, tea why do you think why do you think, that idea? Right, but why do you think the people who are the most in touch with Dreamers and the Border Wall are trying to stop this? Right? Why aren't we listening to them? Well, I, I'm, but I, that's fine. But I think that doesn't because they're both, they're sensitive on both issues, right? So, I mean, and also about they're aware election. that they're aware that people are. Who are not directly related to no, a border wall will destroy the economy of these people's districts, right? Like right, so cutting these cities, so they actually have like any kind of wall. Like increasing security hurts the economy of these districts, right? right. Directly. Right? You're asking why are we not weighting their opinion more than sort of the national mood, and I, I don't think you made a good argument about that. So okay, I understand that yeah. they have a they have a certain set of local politics, and they'll see it as local politics. Their economies could be hurt. Yes, they're much more sensitive to issues of of um, building a border and also uh, having uh, having doc- having the dreamers given a be given a path to citizenship. Yes, I understand that. Yeah. But at a national level, I think it makes sense to take into account what they think. But I think the national level it may just play differently, and that's okay for the politics to play differently. To, Proposes to say, hey, we gave the, the Dreamers a path to citizenship. It's hard not to walk. I don't know if it's hard. I think the Democrats could walk away and say, like, no matter what, that's the victory because we got it through a reluctant Republican Congress. I think it's the. I think it's allowing the other side to move the window. The Democrats should be pushing for open borders. They should be pushing for the elimination of border security. It's a negative rate of. That's way too far. That's yeah, way too I far for who? For me? For you? For do you point. do you agree with that or not? I mean. I, uh, of course I do. But well, I, then what's the, then? Why didn't we fight for? Why don't we fight that? Why are we willing here, to give something away? Who's going to fight for that if not us? Right? Like who 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 believes in immigration if it isn't us? Like if it's not us, why should we give the space to say that's a good issue? I think it's a terrible issue. That makes me furious at Democrats. If that happens, that saps my personal enthusiasm for Democrats like a thousand percent. I'm looking at John Cornyn now. I'm like, <laughs> who's going to be out there like fucking fighting for an end to this wall? Like I will I will I'm on anybody. 
nobody's side who is is about like I moving moving right, Texas and Mexico. I feel like, but at that point, yeah. I feel like you're looking for a symbolic victory instead of like a. It's no. This is a literal wall. Like I mean, it's a real thing. It's it's actually has consequences. Like. There's there's actual consequences for human beings. But there's there. but there's actual consequences for human beings if we don't address. No, there isn't. The consequences are fake. Like the immigration problem is a problem that does not exist. In fact, the oh, problem is that we don't we have we don't have enough immigration. I would say. I would say well, yes, we are why? not. But, yeah. But so, uh, I just I I I don't see how being worried about immigration means that we think that we can't take victories where we need. Like, now, I mean, let's yeah. say, let's I, say you I, I really like care about this issue. Then what you want is to start uh, analyzing the overstay of visas problem, right? has nothing to do with the border 100%. Look, I'm not saying that this... So what you're not acknowledging, and, yeah. and so what I actually think is, you've actually said it, is yes, the center of the debate has moved to the right. But I don't think the people's opinion has. I don't think the political will has. We're allowing a victory that's so, false. So here, here, here also is what I would say in terms of in terms of like actual sort of victories on the ground, right? Um, I think that immigration policy is more than the wall, right? And I also think that there are more districts which have a whole bunch of kids of undocumented immigrants in them who want to know that America cares than there are districts that have southern border right like i think that demographically uh, whether or not the number of dreamers is enough to like move some kind of needle on dreamer votes right but but when you're showing people look we rec we recognize like you know like no fault we welcome americans who have come here to be americans or or who have been brought here and now have have lived their whole lives in this culture have acclimated to this culture, right? Like, we don't consider those people to be... Yeah, and uh, as a matter of fact, one possible scenario is that you give Donald Trump full funding for the wall and you make him sign a very liberal immigration bill in return. And it's not going to matter. No one's going to no one's gonna focus on the fact that our, our immigration bill is also, liberal and we the have, Senate, if we have a wall. I, also, I, your choke point on this is the Senate, which is much further left on immigration than the House. So even if the House passes a bill that you miracle jones would hate right mm. like that bill hits the senate something very different passes the senate right and then either they fail in conference to figure out some kind of compromise or they hit donald trump's desk with a bill that he hates and that might be a very upsetting to you from like a sort of token funding for the wall standpoint but it's not going to fund an actual border it's, wall along the length of the southern you US know who's border. fighting this fight accurately and, and well is mexico like they're about to elect a far more liberal leader and they're about to become america's greatest ally in this issue if america just fucking waits after the midterms right until after these elections right they're they're, they're about to begin embarrassing donald trump daily and with you know, like impunity as they create like a, a, a union with Canada to fight for NAFTA and to fight for the values that we seem to for, have forgotten as far as what globalism. makes it a North <laughs> globalism. Yes, absolutely. I think, I think, I think, I think. So, so I think the game to be played though, I just want to go back. So yeah. if you fund the Trump wall yeah. and you force him, so this is the, this is, I think a step beyond legal DACA is a step too far, right? So you can court that line and you can mm -hmm. step over it if you mm -hmm. fund the wall. And the minute you step over the wall and once you do anything more liberal than DACA, it doesn't matter, I don't think, to his supporters 
uh, whether or not the wall got built. You were liberal on immigration. The wall is symbolic up to a point, but at some point, if you actually enact liberal, slightly liberal uh, immigration laws, you were lost as key supporters. I think that's it. Like they were happy for the wall because it's symbolic, but I think. I also, key I also think, don't understand the fine distinction between. I also like, think that um, soft the, on immigration, soft on immigration. The a consequences. I think that the consequences <laughs> of any bad Trump administration decisions on trade yeah. are going to be interpreted very differently if a wall is being built. Right, like if we start to see like real adverse consumer impacts from like whatever kinds of anti-globalist trade decisions are happening, I think that if the narrative is we're trying to make Mexico pay, but look like here the U.S. consumer is paying instead, your car is more expensive now or whatever. I think I think that 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 plays against the Trump administration. I think if you, I'm not saying I want a wall. I really don't want a wall. We'll talk about this again <laughs> for, forever. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I got heated, but I, can't, I, can't, feel very I feel very passionately about really? this guy. Really? Yeah. But uh, yeah, the, uh, the, the, uh, what are you reading these days? Like that's a good oh, question. Oh yeah, what am I reading right now? Yeah, so yeah. I've been I've been making this concerted effort to read. So I've been running through one um, all of Brian K. Vaughan, who's this like comic book writer I really like all yeah. his work. Um, so I'm almost done. I have to finish out Saga. Actually, yeah. I, I may borrow Saga. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, which I really like. And then I started reading Dashiell Hammett. Oh, um, really? No yeah, kidding. I, I found out. I it's have, great, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I read like like even the the, the earliest novel. Yeah, it's like the yeah. first paragraph. You're like, wow. Yeah, this yeah, is a so, writer. Yeah, yeah, yeah this is really a writer. Good. Yeah. So um, I'm not reading high literature. Yeah. Uh, which I feel a little that's bad about. High literature. But um, yeah, so that's that's what I'm reading. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm actually pretty proud of that because I've actually been able to read. What about you? What about you? Yeah, well, you were reading a really interesting book for a while. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm working on, uh, do you mean social? Yeah. Yeah, I'm working on social by Matthew Lieberman. So, uh, oh, actually, so one of the other impacts of the Trump election for me was a burning desire to have a better understanding of how people operate in groups. Uh, um, and so I've been working myself through kind of a reading list related to that. But Social by Matthew Lieberman, it's kind of a pop neuroscience book, mm. but he really kind of synthesizes and integrates a lot of really interesting stuff. Um, about just how socially motivated we are and how actually sort of our libertarian capitalist ideal in the United States is actually sort of contrary to the neuroscience in terms of how rewarding we find pro-social behavior um, and other things like that. He doesn't explicitly address that, but... Um, so it's been really interesting. I'm really enjoying the book. It's pretty well written, um, and I would recommend it to anyone. That's cool. Yeah, I just finished uh, uh, God Save Texas, which is Lawrence Wright's new book. Oh, okay. uh, it's just about sort of Texas politics and uh, uh, the fight between Joe Strauss and uh, what's that fucking guy, Dan Patrick, uh, which is really interesting. And also just about the future of Texas demographically, which is it's going to double in size by 2050 yeah. as far as population goes which is something people don't really take into consideration. Like, it is the state that is gaining congressional seats, whereas New York and California are losing them. Uh, and so it's only going to become more powerful, and so we should, I think, try to understand it more. And this is a good book for that. Uh, and he's a, he's a tidy writer, and he's a, he's a, when he's not writing about Texas, he wrote that great book about Scientology, Going Clear. Oh, right. And yeah. uh, also he wrote The Looming Tower, which is yes, uh, now yes. uh, he's a Middle East expert. But yeah, and he's, he's just a, he's a fun guy, but uh, the book's well written, and it, 
it is he is definitely conflicted about uh, my home as I am too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> is he a native Texan? Yeah. yeah. That's all right. Only native Texans should write about Texas. I agree with that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so cool. I, um, so this has been episode forty-five. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Guys. Oh, of course, we'll have you back. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for joining us. And thanks, as always, to Kevin Carter for producing our intro and outro music. Yeah.